What you're looking at on the screens would be a famous painting of (laughs) Napoleon Bonaparte. If CNN and ABC and Fox News and NBC had been around in the year of 1809, they would have all been mesmerized by the great victories of Napoleon. All of the newscasts would have originated from what country? Austria. Austria, that's where Napoleon and the French army were making history in 1809. Austria. Napoleon Bonaparte was going through Austria like a hot knife through butter. All eyes. The entire world was excited and overwhelmed with Napoleon in Austria. But if you think about the year 1809, and you know anything about history, you might say, wow, there were a lot of important people being born as babies in 1809. People like Charles Darwin, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Edgar Allan Poe, Alfred Tennyson, and in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky, in a cabin owned by an itinerant and illiterate farmer, you could hear in the year of 1809 the infant baby cries of who? Abraham Lincoln. Everyone, though, in 1809 (laughs) missed all of that because they were so enamored and captured with Napoleon. But in retrospect, what Napoleon was doing in Austria in 1809, in retrospect, that sounds like a Sunday afternoon yawn. No big deal. Only a few technical historians can tell you about the battles Napoleon fought in 1809, but who among us hasn't heard of the likes of Darwin and Holmes and Poe and Tennyson and, of course, (laughs) honest Abe Lincoln? Go back from 1809, 1800 centuries to the Roman Empire. Rome, in all of its vastness and power and political might, all eyes were on Rome. Everyone was amazed at Roman capacity and and Roman political muscle. Oh, why, look at the vastness of the first century Roman Empire, bounded on the west by the Atlantic Ocean on the east, of course, by the Euphrates River. On the north, by the Rhine and the Danube. On the south, by the Sahara Desert. Rome was as vast as it was vicious. And all eyes that year were focused on the cynical Caesar named Augustus, who had just decided to raise taxes. No one cared about babies 
and bottles, cradles and cribs. Why, real history, real stuff was happening where? It was happening in Rome. You think? Well, think again. Because while all eyes were on Rome and Caesar Augustus, the prophecy of Micah, this 8th century B.C. Old Testament prophet, the prophecy of Micah was fulfilled, and God, this is a stunning claim tonight, God arrived in silence, under straw, in a stable, under a star. And everyone was so enamored with Rome and Caesar Augustus that the world missed it. Here's what Micah has to say. He prophesied all of this happening a good 700 years. So everyone was warned. (laughs) Everyone had the opportunity. But Micah chapter 5. First part of verse 2 says, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are so little among the clans of Judah, right? We've been singing a hymn as Christians since 1868, written by a man named Phillips Brooks in the great city of Philadelphia. In 1868, Phillips Brooks wrote the Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And it was a little town even in Micah's day, and it was a little town even in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, Bethlehem was about two to 300 people in population. Sure, it had been the hometown and birthplace of the mighty King David, But Bethlehem still, in the time of Jesus, was a little backwater bungalow. Notice that (laughs) the Messiah, the Mashiach, the, the king of the house and lineage of David, didn't appear in Jerusalem or in Rome, right? Not even in Athens, Greece, but of all places, a little hick village called Bethlehem. Micah goes on in this same verse. From you, that would be Bethlehem, right? House of bread is what it means, Bethlehem, will come forth for me, God is speaking through the prophet Micah, one who will be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This is another stunning claim that that the ruler, right, in Israel, the, the, the Davidic king, finally Jesus, right, He had a history before he came into history. That's what it means, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This ruler in Israel existed from eternity past. This ruler Micah foresees 700 years before it happens. This ruler is planned before the creation of the world. Here is Micah's point. And here's the bedrock of the Christian faith. 
Micah is saying that this ruler coming forth from the little town of Bethlehem, this ruler is equal to Almighty God. That's the claim. Christians since the 4th century A.D. have used these words of Jesus, this ruler in Israel. He is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. You see, the Bible says Jesus isn't a junior partner with God the Father. Jesus isn't kind of a Mike Pence of the universe. Jesus is 100% God, really and truly and eternally, from of old, from ancient days. So when this little child was conceived and born, a new person didn't appear. The second person of the Trinity, this is how Christians historically have stated it, the second person of the Trinity, which would be God the Son, became incarnate. Uh, God the Son took on flesh. God the Son took on a body. God burps. God sleeps. God gets hungry. God gets thirsty. God gets lonely. God feels pain. The Bible puts it this way. In John 1 verse 14, the word, that's Jesus, the word became flesh. Flesh. (laughs) There he is, flesh and bone and body and a cute little nose. The word, Jesus didn't change into flesh or morph into flesh or transition into flesh. Hear me out on this, very important. Jesus didn't change into flesh or morph into flesh or transition into flesh. Uh, No, Uh, then he would cease to be God. No, no, Jesus, remaining what he was, became like us. Remaining what he was, God, (laughs) whose origins are from of old, from ancient days, remaining what he was, God, became one of us, flesh. Christmas is so much more then chestnuts roasting on an open fire and Jack Frost knocking at your door, right? It's about that. We enjoy it. But Christmas is so much more than old Saint Nick and sugar plum fairies. Isaac Watts puts it this way in his stellar Christian hymn called Joy to the World. Isaac Watts says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. And you say, well, what does that have to do with my life? Good question. What does any of this have to do with my life? Jesus with flesh, knows what it's like when your body aches and your heart breaks. Jesus, a real human being, knows what it's like when your world caves in. Jesus gets it when people reject you and dismiss you. 
and demean you. Jesus hears us and understands when we cry out, it's too late to do anything about my train wreck called a life. Remaining what he was God, he became one of us flesh. Think about this. I mean, really think about this. Try and wrap your mind around it. Here is Mary looking into the eyes who are all seeing eyes and all knowing eyes. Here is Mary hearing her little child coo and cry, and that same voice said, Genesis 1-3, let there be light. Here is Mary holding the hands of God, this very hands that created the universe in six ordinary days. People were reeling in antiquity from Alexander the Great, Herod the Great, Augustus the Great, and the great God arrived, and people missed it. The Bible has a word for that, doesn't it? You know that word. It's the S word. <laughs> it's called sin. Sin is missing the beauty and the mystery and the majesty of Jesus. Sin is being blind to the reality that that God has invaded planet Earth. Sin is being blind to the mercy and the kindness and the deep, deep, deep love of Jesus. So that's why Jesus moves from the cradle to standing Condemned before Pontius Pilate. Pilate takes Jesus' flesh, right, and has it ripped and torn and shredded. Pilate then places upon the body of Jesus, you can see it here, a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And then Pontius Pilate famously says in John 19, verse 5, behold the man, behold the man. Jerome's Latin Vulgate of the 5th century AD translates that, ecce homo, in the Latin. Ecce homo. In fact, that's the name of this painting. Ecce homo. 1930 painting. Ecce homo, behold the man, the man, uh, the man with flesh and flesh and blood and a beaten body. But there's also God we're talking about there, God who is rejected, God who bleeds, God who is crucified, God who dies, God who is buried. For everyone else, that'd be the end of the story. But Micah's not done, and neither are we. Micah says in chapter 4 of his seven-chapter book, 
He's talking about Jesus, this one born in the little town of Bethlehem, whose origins are from of old, from ancient days. That's the he, he shall stand. See, they laid him in the tomb dead, but now Micah says he's going to stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth." What I'm sharing with you tonight is a nutshell of the biblical message. We move from the the gospel, see, to the good that this does for us. What's the good? We dwell secure to God's glory. He will be great to the ends of the earth. That's it. That's the Bible in a nutshell. It's gospel, it's good news, and it's our good for God's glory. And this whole Micah prophecy is pointing to the promise of our good. We can dwell secure. When you think about it, that's what we want at our very core. I, I want to be secure. I want social security. I want financial security. I want national security. Security is the very heart of what we cry out for. I just want to be secure. That's why we work. That's why we invest. That's why some of us endlessly exercise. That's why we take vitamins. And that's why we triple lock all doors. We just want to be secure. Well, then listen closely. No one will snatch them out of my hands. Those are the words of Jesus. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons nor heights nor depths or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are the words of Paul. Safe and secure from all alarms. (laughs) Those are the words of the gospel song, leaning on the everlasting arms. Safe and secure in life, in death. Some of you know that my deceased father used to be a high school football referee. Did that for some 35 years. Another football referee that my dad once met was named Art Holst. Art Holst, he didn't do high school. Art Holst did the NFL. And Art Holst told a story about a time when the Kansas City Chiefs were playing the despised and dreaded Oakland Raiders. And Kansas City Chief tight end Fred Arbanis, who had been assaulted in 1965 on the streets of Kansas City and had his left eye removed, caught a pass. 1969, was hit by an Oakland Raider safety, and his artificial eye popped out. Called a timeout. Everyone was on the field looking for Fred's eye. Fred found his own eye. He popped it back in. Art Holst, the referee, said, I'm impressed. 
fret. But what would you have done had you lost the other eye? That's easy, Arbana snapped back. I'd become a referee. <laughs> <laughs> We all know referees are what? Blind. (laughs) And I hope we all know that we're all blind sometimes. Blind to the gospel bringing us good news for God's glory. That's why Micah presses his prophetic pen hard. Micah wants us to open our eyes, not just kind of dimly, but wide open, open our hearts, open our lives to see who. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus, born in the little backwater bungalow called Bethlehem. Jesus, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Jesus, who stands to shepherd his flock. Jesus, who lives and reigns so we can be safe and secure from all alarms in life, in death, forever. And just because the whole thing began with babies and bottles and cradles and crabs, don't miss it. We stand to sing, O little town of Bethlehem.